unscripted. Each episode is available to view on YouTube, so be sure to check us out. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. If you're out there and you're struggling, I want you to, number one, I want you to know that there is a path out. That is 100% true. I know it. Uh, I've lived it. I know many, many people who've lived it. And the reality here is you do not have to feel as though you are trapped, stuck, or unable to move forward anymore. You can move forward. And I hope that you have the hope in that because that is absolutely available to you. everyone welcome back to another episode of saints unscripted we've got a fun schedule for you today we've got a great guest on here his name is zachary spafford uh i don't know if you go by zach zach zachary? zach okay zach <laughs> zach's on here and uh he runs a podcast about overcoming the challenges of pornography which is something that so many people struggle with today this is such a valuable asset for thousands and thousands of people and so uh well zach welcome we love what you do Uh, well thanks for having me uh it's been a real pleasure to be able to do the self-mastery podcast we've been just blessed in our lives to have you know just this opportunity to share our lives with so many people Uh, my wife is often on there but it's it really was um you know it was a brainchild of my journey from pornography to a place where you know i'm not it's not a problem for me anymore and I, you know, I'm so grateful for that. That's awesome. Um, and that's good to hear because uh, we need examples like you who are, who are out there who have overcome that. And not only have you um, put that behind you and you've overcome that, but you're having a, you've got a healthy relationship with your wife. You've got, you said eight kids? Only eight. Only yeah. eight. That's it. <laughs> you got eight kids. And, uh, on top of that, you've also turned it around and made it, uh, you've, you've taken what you've learned and the things that you've uh, experienced and you're turning it for other people's good and you're helping other people get through it as well, which is exactly what they, what they encourage you to do, but it's so hard to do for a lot of people. Yeah, no, it was really interesting. So I, I, you know, had taken a step back from going to like 12 step meetings and working with counselors. I was, I was always in touch with my bishop, but uh, when we had our twins, which were our fifth and sixth child, uh, we had six kids, seven and under at that point. And my wife was like, I, I don't care if you go to those meetings anymore. It's not getting any better. I don't care if you go to counselors anymore. I am not worried about pornography right now. Right now, what I'm worried about is being able to keep my head above water. Oh, there's a funny comedian. He tells this joke. He's like, you know, let me tell you what it's like to have four kids. Just imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a fourth kid. And, and, and that's what it was like for her. She was just drowning. And it was this moment where I decided, you know, I don't know what my next step is, but I'm going to figure this out. And I knew that I couldn't spend time, you know, going to meetings and going to counselors anymore and wondering, you know, why wasn't I getting better? I had to, you know, look in, inside my own brain and start to figure out, hey, what is it that's happening for me? Why am I doing this? What am I trying to avoid? Why, you know, and and start to get, you know, some real skills around this, not just the platitudes and not just the, oh, I'm I'm trying, but I'm just an addict kind of language. 
and get to a place where I owned this and I was 100% responsible for this. And then to your point of being able to help other people, uh, my wife started listening to a podcaster named Jody Moore. I don't know if you guys know who she is, but Jody is just this spectacular woman who's she's talking about Diet Coke and Target runs and her kids and all the things. But she had this vocabulary and these skills that my wife, she comes to me and she's like, hey, that thing that you told me you started to do with pornography, Jody Moore just talked about that. And that all of a sudden, I started to get this new vocabulary about what I had been doing and why I had been doing it. And I was able to start to put together the pieces. And then we got to spend a week with Jody up in Spokane. And then Jody was my teacher at the Life Coach School. And I learned so many, just, just so many additional skills in addition to what I had been doing that, you know, and, and by this time I'd been, I had quit looking at pornography for some time, but by this time I had been pretty well clear of it, but I didn't know what I was talking about, right? I didn't know how to articulate what was going on for me yeah. in a way that I could have helped anybody. And being able to work with Jody, being able to work with the life coach school and being able to come, you know, full circle with that and start helping people was such a huge blessing. And then we decided, you know what, let's just, let's see if we can help people. Let's make this something that we can do every day for the benefit of others. And we've been so blessed to be able to do that. That's one of the reasons we're able to be back here in St. George. We just moved back from Milwaukee. It was a funny story. (laughs) It's quite a change. Yeah. Well, so when I tell people what I do in Milwaukee, you know, blank faces, right? But we had had the Culligan water guy over and he's like, oh, so what do you do? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I I help people stop looking at porn. I'm I'm a coach. And he's like, oh, that is so needed, you know, and he just just drops right into it. Like, oh, yeah, this is absolutely normal that this is what you do for a living. So I love it. <laughs> it's not quite the same outside of outside of Utah. I not guess. outside of Utah. Um, so your your target audience is members of the church. Is that right? Primarily members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, I, I have a Muslim client. I have people who are not uh mormon but they're christian uh it it it, it, this is not a thing that is going away and it's not a thing that we are the only ones who deal with this if you are someone who is of moral character and you're like this isn't something i want in my life but i don't understand why i keep turning to it i can help you last year we helped over 130 people go through this process so as we were as we were talking about your your experience out in Milwaukee and the reactions that you get there versus here, um, I mean, do you in in that professional world do you find that there's a lot of pushback? Like, no, this isn't a problem. Um, like, sexual addiction is not a thing. Do you ever do you ever run into that, or do you have to fight it, or do you just kind of eh, like? Yeah. So so that's um, that's really interesting, and it's really a pretty common situation that we run into especially with our facebook stuff you know we put quite a bit on facebook and people will interact with it and they will say things like you're the problem you know and they'll bring the church into it and 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 i always just respond to those people hey man if if you want to look at pornography i'm not here to tell you not to that's not my job my job is to help people who are ready to get rid of it out of their lives that's that's the process that i take people through i'm not here to judge you for what you've got going on that doesn't really matter to us. What matters to us is 
the fact that it, there is a very real group of people who have very real feelings about how terrible they are because they are doing something that they believe is morally corrupt, right? They, they are behaving in a way that is contrary to their internal compass. And that is what we're helping people figure out is how do I get back to square with me? How do I get my self-confidence? How do I live in integrity with myself? And there are, you know, I always tell clients, they come to me and they say, hey, you know, I want to know, you know, what's your success rate and how, you know, how likely is it that I'm going to succeed at doing this? And I always tell them, you know, my clients, they succeed. They always succeed. They're always better off than they were when they started with me. But the truth is, I don't know if this is the last thing you need to know or just the next thing you need to know. But I do know that everyone needs to know the skills that I teach. They are universally applicable, whether you're dealing with pornography or weight or, you know, excessive gaming, whatever it is that you're dealing with, we work on. And the truth is, is that knowing these skills and understanding how to use these skills to eliminate these unwanted behaviors out of your life, that is freedom. It is. a, And I wish these skills were taught in schools, but they're not. So we, you know, we've got to. I've got to do my job and make it so that everybody can use it. I love that. No matter what anybody says, no matter what the uh, what the industries are saying, what the you know, whether it's not a thing, it's not a, as big of a problem as you're making it. Based on what you're telling me, um, for a lot of people, this is a serious issue, and you're helping them to change their lives around, like go from this place that's not true to them and they're getting to places where they not just you know are better with the church but like their livelihood is is significantly improved based on the things that you share with them and yeah it's like the proof is in the pudding you know it's like obviously there's got to be a lot of truth to this um yeah i mean the skills and the, and the, the principles that we teach are universal and it's interesting because i do see a great deal of the gospel in what i do um, you know, for instance, the idea of repentance. Repentance is a really important component of, of all of our lives. But if you look at the roots, the root words of, of repentance, so there's the Greek root, which is metanoia, uh, and that means to have a new mind. And then there is what I call the, the Egyptian root, which t- is interesting, right? So the Book of Mormon uses a phrase that's called a mighty change of heart. And this is really interesting because we're like, okay, well, you got to change your soul. You got to just like, you know, adjust you from inside. And yeah, I think that's part of it. But uh, in ancient Egyptian culture, the heart was where your mind and your soul resided. And I only know this because my dad's a mortician. And I, you know, I, in ancient Egyptian uh, embalming, they took the heart out and they put it in a sacred place. And they, it was an important part. And they took your brain out and chucked it, right? <laughs> that's great. <And>, right. That's <laughs> Right. And that that phrase, a mighty change of heart to them and what I and, you know, the Book of Mormon is written in uh, in Reformed Egyptian. I believe that the origins of that phrase and this is, you know, the gospel according to Zach. Right. So, you know, somebody could probably prove me wrong. I'm sure that that's available. That's okay. Uh, But in my mind, it, it is this. Oh, wait a minute. It's it's really us changing what we believe. And the process I take people through is, for instance, when I started to figure it out, I truly believed I can't stop looking at pornography. I believed like I'm an addict. Uh, I believed 
you know, the 12 steps have a, a phrase called uh, that's um, we were powerless against our addiction. And I believed that stuff. And I thought that stuff was true. And at some point, I decided to try to just kind of look at that belief structure and be like, well, what what is true about that and what's not true about that? And what I came to was that I actually can look at pornography. You know, as a, as a member of the church, we don't drink alcohol, right? And I often ask members of the church, hey, if I said to you, hey, you're a Mormon, you can't drink beer. What would you say to me? And often, well, what would you say, Taylor? I would say... I can drink beer, but I don't drink beer. Right. I can, but I choose not to, essentially. Mm -hmm. Right. I can, but I don't. When it comes to pornography, members of the church, if, if I use that very same phrase, I can, but I choose not to around pornography, how does that feel? Uh, it, it, I, to me, it kind of diminishes the power of pornography. It just makes it out to be another piece of entertainment yeah that you don't care about you don't care for right and and i think so many of us we don't believe that especially in the beginning of our journey we both don't believe i can look at pornography which is it just seems so counter to what we're trying to accomplish but it is an assertion of our agency and when we fully assert our agency rather than believe something like I can't look at pornography or I shouldn't look at pornography, right? Because if you just said to me, well, I shouldn't drink beer, I'd say, well, who's telling you to, that you shouldn't, right? Because a should or a shouldn't, that's outside of you somewhere. Someone's telling you, so it's, you know, my bishop says I shouldn't, my uh, church says I shouldn't, the, uh, you know, the Doctrine and Covenant says I shouldn't, right? All of that is outside of us. But the things that are inside of us are I can and I will or I can and I won't. That's agency. And that's the repentance process that we go through. We adjust what we believe from things like I can't look at pornography to I can look at pornography. And for me, the very first step was I can and I'm probably going to today. And I had to choose to believe that. And that was hard because it was counter to who I wanted to be. But it was the process of owning my agency that was important there. And eventually I got to a place where I both believed and it felt the same to say, I can, but I choose not to when I was talking about pornography as when I was talking about beer. And that to me was such a, you know, just a leap forward. And it really, I think, reflects the reality, which is we are all more capable and more responsible for our actions than we lead on to. And we absolutely can take our agency back and we must do that. Hmm. That's really cool. It, at first, the, the phrase saying, like when you first said, I can look at pornography and I probably will today. Like that's really, that, that really kind of messes with the- It's with jarring. The brain. It's jarring. Yeah, because it, it makes it seem like on the surface, you're, you're giving up kind of, kind of a deal. You know, like I can't, uh, like you're just kind of relinquishing your power. And it may look like that on the surface and maybe like in some degree at, at first, maybe that does happen a little bit, but ultimately what it's doing is it's changing your mindset and the way that you look at not only pornography, but at yourself and it enables, it puts the power into your hands. Absolutely. I, like I, I would absolutely agree. This is, this is you going from a place of, you know, words like I slipped, mm -hmm. I relapsed, I'm addicted. Yeah to 
I can choose to look at pornography or I can choose to not look at pornography and being able to say that and being able to own that a hundred percent in a way that, you know, in the same way that we own things like, you know, coffee, I don't drink coffee. I can drink coffee. I just choose not to like the same way that that is so normal and natural and powerful to us is the same way that we have to get with pornography. And if we don't get there, Pornography will continue to have power and sway over us in a way that we don't really want it to. So I've got a question then, because I feel like in the church, especially when we talk about when we use words like addiction, uh, it implies that we've lost that agency. Right. Because we we, we talk about a lot of things, you know, drugs, smoking, alcohol, uh, pornography, for that matter. Um, And we say we don't want to do those things because doing those things it inhibits or removes your agency. Um, And so when we say like, oh, I'm a pornography addict, do you think that there's a subconscious reaction that says like, oh, since I'm a pornography addict, is there like a a relinquish of your agency there? Do you think that people aren't taking as much control of their life when they use that phraseology? Yeah, so for instance, if you've ever been to the 12-step meetings, you sit down in the meeting, one of the first things you learn to say is, hi, my name is Zach, and I'm an addict. Hello, my name is Bruce. Hello, Bruce. And I just... And that's meant to be like a an acknowledgement of the problem. Sure, right? sure. I think it is meant to be an acknowledgement of the, the problem. But we have this thing in our brains called confirmation bias, and it works both for and against us in a lot of ways. And you know what I'm talking about if you've paid any attention to politics over the last four years. There are people who love, you know, certain politicians and there are people who hate certain politicians. And regardless of what that politician does, that what that politician does is just what they do, right? Mm-hmm. But some people see that as evidence that that politician's bad, and some people see that as evidence that that politician is good, right? right. And that that's that is just an example of what confirmation bias is. But essentially what confirmation bias is, is it's our brain looking for evidence of things that we believe regardless of the truth of that thing. And so I want you to just kind of take a little mental trip with me. I am not a clinician. I am not a doctor. I do not have, you know, I don't diagnose anybody with, you know, addiction or not addiction, but there's some, there's some interesting things that I've observed that I think once you see them, it's hard to not see them. So when I was a missionary, I served my mission in Rome, Italy. Uh, I was on the train. Actually, I was in Naples at the time. I was on the train and this woman gets on the train. She sits in the stairwell of the train. So these are trains that you st- stepped up into. I'm sitting in a, um, in a, a, you know, a chair and she's sitting in the stairwell and she looks at me and I look at her and she proceeds in front of me to shoot up heroin. What I assume was heroin. I don't know what else you would put in your veins, right? Uh, intravenously in the way that she did, right? Uh, And I grew up, you know, just north of Chicago, so I'd seen drug use. It wasn't any, like, it wasn't so uncommon that I didn't know what was going on, right? right? She did not care what I saw. She had no issue with me seeing her doing what she was doing. She was more interested in getting the drug inside her than she was in any of the consequences. Like, I could have called the, you know, the police or the carabinieri or whatever, and said, hey, this woman's shooting drugs on the train. You, you got to come get her or whatever. I could have done that, right? But she didn't right. care about any of that. So I want you to contrast that attitude with what people do when they are looking at pornography and someone walks in the room. Right? Yeah. So, I, one moment, please. This is a really good spot. I'd like to watch the rest of this. 
or do they hide? They hide it. They shut it down as fast as they can. Right. So what does that tell you? It tells me that they are more ashamed of the behavior than they are addicted to the behavior. Hmm. And, and so we, in our, in our work, we don't use addiction language. We don't use addiction modeling. There, there are a couple of different models, but we don't use any of the, the addiction modeling. Um, and there is a growing body of you know, evidence in the scientific community that pornography is not an addiction. Pornography is a behavior that you use to stop feeling bad. And just like with food, pornography and food have some pretty awesome parallels. Um, I, I don't mean to compare them in terms of a moral component, but I will say, although, you know, if we look at the doctor and covenants, I mean, how many of us are like, yeah, I eat meat sparingly um, and I only eat fruits in the season thereof, right? Like Lies. we do have a moral <laughs> code around food that we mostly ignore within the church, right? Right. So, I want, you know, without, without, you know, I, I want to be sensitive to any woman or any man who's listening to this and they're like, no, this is destroying my life and you're wrong, right? I don't right. want anyone to feel like I'm uh, belittling that. But I, I, I hope that what I'm saying gives you hope, which, which hope comes from this simple idea that if we're not addicted and the only thing that happens when we stop using the thing, whether it's food or pornography or uh, video gaming or whatever. And the only thing that happens when we uh, stop doing the thing that is making us feel good in the moment is that we're left with our negative and unwanted and uncomfortable feelings. Then that is something that we can all survive. We can all live through that. You know, it's interesting, right? So as members of the church, we believe that we are to have joy. Second Nephi 2.25, it says, men are that they might have joy. What a blessing that is, right? Yeah. But we often forget that 13 verses earlier, Lehi's like, hey, listen, opposition in all things. True. So mathematically, what that tells me is that we're going to have joy about half the time if we fully go through the process of feeling our negative feelings on the other side of that. Hmm. He might have easily, just as easily as said, men are that they might have sadness. Yeah. Sorrow is the human condition in a lot of ways, not because we like it, but because we, you know, sometimes having sorrow is an important component of our lives. When, when someone close to us dies, right, we should want to feel sad. Right. And, and there's not anything wrong with feeling sad when that happens. So being able to fully experience the negative feelings in our lives, and I'm not saying wallow in them. I'm not saying like you know, land in depression and stay there for days. Right. What I'm saying is, you know, most of the time when people turn to pornography, it's because they're uncomfortable in some way. They're bored. They're lonely. They're stressed. And rather than just feel stressed or lonely or bored for five minutes, maybe. Because every feeling we have, by the way, it's a, it's a chemical reaction in our bodies, right? So mm -hmm. about a 90-second process to feel a feeling all the way through its, through its end is what the latest research shows. So... That tells us that if I can feel lonely for 90 seconds, I might be able to just come out on the other side of that and create some happiness. Be okay. And be okay. And I know that sounds so simple, but it is not a skill we have. You know, as men, especially in, in uh, our culture, as both Americans and members of the church, it's, you know, push through, 
be a man, uh, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, walk it off. Right. And none of that's true. We have feelings. And if we push them down and we push them aside, we're not experiencing them fully and we're not willing to experience them fully. We are going to try and avoid them. And we're going to try and avoid them almost at all costs, even at the cost of our marriages sometimes, because we're like, Oh, I, I can't live without pornography. Yeah. So if you got to leave, you got to go. Right. Yeah. And it's almost like, it's not just because pornography is not just a, a men's issue. It's a, it's an everybody issue. Right. And so it's, it's not even just, uh, I would, I would say beyond just being like refusing to feel our emotions as men, you know, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and things. It's also just become so easy to, to find something to entertain us or to make us happy because like by turning, you know, we've got our smartphones, we've got social media, we've got all these resources constantly feeding us, hey, you can be happy now. Hey, this is what you need. And it totally cuts off that process of feeling those, those feelings like you're explaining it, it interrupts those. Because the moment you start to feel something negative, you're like, whip out your phone, you know, I need some memes. And you just start going. I don't know how old your dad is. But if, if you were when you were a kid, when you went to the grocery store, did your dad ever talk to people in line? Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> when you go to the store, do you ever talk to people in line? Never. Why well, would I do that? <laughs> your face in it. And it's really funny because, you know, what you, what you just said is it, it's so true. We do not ever have to be bored. And yet we are still bored. We don't ever have to be lonely. And yet we are still lonely. We have the capacity to reach out and talk to people at all hours of the day across. You know, I have a client in Germany. I have clients in Southeast Asia. You know, we can talk to anybody we want, anytime we want, for practically no cost. Yeah. Yet we are still feeling these feelings. <laughs> and uh, it's funny because my sales pitch is a really terrible sales pitch. <laughs> I'm going to teach you how to be uncomfortable. And the the good news there is that if I can teach you how to be uncomfortable, you're actually going to be uncomfortable less. Because what's happening when we use pornography or other what we call buffers? So buffers are things that are net negatives in our lives. It could be food. It could be uh, pornography. It could be anything, right? What happens is we feel, let's say we feel lonely, right? That's one feeling. And then we turn to pornography to kind of deal with that feeling in the moment. Now, if that was all that happened, we feel arousal and we feel lonely, then that would be great, right? But... The problem is, is that when we're done with pornography, because we we learned that, you know, feelings are finite. They don't keep going forever. Right. When we're done feeling or feeling arousal by looking at pornography, we go back to feeling lonely because we didn't really deal with that. And then we feel guilt and we feel shame and we feel frustration and we might feel some more stress because now we got to talk to our wife. Right. And now we've created a five to one exchange in negative feelings to positive feelings. It's the worst trade deal in the history of trade deals. <laughs> right, exactly. Right? So if we can feel lonely, and we can feel lonely for a minute, a minute and a half, two minutes, and we don't have to keep telling ourselves the story over and over again about why we're lonely. We can just be like, oh, that's what my brain's telling me. I'm, I'm lonely, and this is how it feels. At the end of that, we can feel satisfied that we didn't turn to pornography, or we can feel uh, joy that, 
we can move forward and find friends, right? Like that's the exchange that I'm trying to get people to. And that, that exchange, you know, a one-to-one exchange, that's the best you get. You might get a little more happiness on this side, just as, you know, as a rule of thumb, if opposition in all things, the exchange you're looking for is at least one-to-one. Right. Anything else is probably going to look like this. And that, like you said, terrible trade deal. Yeah, I I love that. Uh, I've never heard it framed in this way before. Um, I've, I've listened to a lot of people talk, like the whole Fight the New Drug program is really cool. Um, uh, there's been like some TED Talks geared around it, but I've never heard it talked about as like you are going to pornography to avoid feeling something. And sometimes the best way to uh, to move past your pornography addiction to overcome that is to just allow yourself to feel. Uh, I've, I think, I think that's amazing. I think that's uh, revelatory. <laughs> you might even well, say math. Your feelings are math. They're much more math than we give them credit for. All of us have them, but we do a lot of. We we work very hard to avoid them, both positive and negative. And when, you know, grief is a really good example of this, because I think we all kind of accept the reality that to deal with grief, you have to go through it and you can't avoid it in the long run. And and that is the truth about all of our feelings. Uh, I like to give this example of, you know, what the running of the bulls in Pamplona, Spain is. You ever heard of this? I know vaguely. I don't know, like all the details. I know they run from bulls down an alleyway. Yeah. So basically there's bulls in a pen up at the top of the city and they move them down to the arena where they're, you know, going to do the bullfighting. And you've seen the videos probably where people are like in with the bulls and they're getting gored and they're getting trampled and they're basically hurting themselves. uh, Because in the long run, being in a stream of bulls is a bad idea for most humans. And that's kind of the same for people because the bulls are going to get from, or sorry, with feelings, right? The bulls are going to get from the, the stadium to, or from the pen to the stadium, no matter what, they're going to move in that direction, no matter what, whether you get in there and you try to fight with them and try to get in their path or fiddle around with them or whatever, they're going to get there, right? Same with your feelings. Your feelings are going to happen. You're going to feel your feelings one way or the other. And if you try to get in there and fiddle with them, you're more likely to get hurt in the long run than you are if you just get up in the stand, you know, get up in the balcony of somebody's house, which is what they, you know, where all those videos are filmed, where people are getting gored, right? It's somebody who's in a safe spot. Yeah. And just watch and be like, oh, that's that's what this feeling feels like. I I can survive that. Because literally the worst thing that could happen to you is you feel bad. Yeah. Everything, you know, I've had people say, well, if I became a, a paraplegic, that's the worst thing that could happen to me. Well, why? And eventually it comes down to, well, because I would feel bad that I was a burden on my family. Mm-hmm. Right. The worst thing that can happen to any of us is that we feel bad. And if you can survive feeling bad, you can stop looking at pornography. Hmm. That's awesome. What would you say? Because for a lot of people out there, feeling bad is not just a 90 second experience. Um, or grief is not just, you know, that sure. moment when they want to turn to pornography. Um, I, what would, what would you say to people who, uh, who struggle with pornography because they struggle with depression or anxiety? And it's just, it seems like it's perpetual. 
Yeah. So I had a client who recently we talked about his anxieties, right? Which was his wife was going to leave him. He was kind of, he was basically abandoned by his parents uh, in his mid teens, right? So when he was 16 and 17, he basically couch surfed until he graduated high school. And his overarching anxiety, he'd wake up in the middle of the night, literally scared that his wife was going to leave him. And we just, we started to go down that path of what's going to happen? Like, where's she going to go? She's been with you for over 15 years now. Where's she going? What, what does she have to look forward to outside of your marriage? And if she goes, what are you going to do? Right. And we start dealing with the actual issue rather than the symptom, which pornography is usually not the problem. Right. Pornography is a symptom of a reality where you are unhappy with your life because you're not facing the issues head on that you're dealing with. And for him, he started to come to this realization that his wife wasn't going anywhere, <laughs> that she liked him. <laughs> they were just fine. But th- that, that this concern of his, this belief, my wife is going to leave me, was something he had to face head on. And just ask it some questions. Our lower brain is always telling us what's wrong in life. It's constantly looking for ways to tell us that we're going to die. That's its job. And, right, it's in the back of your mind. It's like a Karen. And it's like, hey, I need to speak to the manager. The entire building's on fire. And you're like, <laughs> that's, that's a barbecue. It's fine. We're all going to survive, right? And And for millennia, this is actually helped us this is why we're the dominant species on the planet right we exist here on the planet because karen has been there telling us what's wrong right and we haven't been eaten by lions the problem is is that most of us are not in mortal peril anymore and so karen starts to look for things that seem like they might kill us negative feelings right what if what if your wife leaves you right and brings them up and then is like freaking out about them. And you just gotta be like, Oh, it's okay, Karen. I actually, I've talked to my wife. She's not going anywhere. And even if she did, by the way, I would still survive. I'd be sad by that because I'm not a psychopath, but I would still survive. Yeah. And you just got to start to have a new dialogue with your brain. That's not like, get out of, get out of here. I got to suppress you until I can feel better. Mm -hmm start to have that conversation so those people who are turning to pornography because of anxiety or 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 depression or what have you uh, you know please get help with an appropriate clinician if you have depression that that needs that work but if you're ready to be a little bit more aware and start asking questions of your beliefs and start to believe new things then go to a coach and work with a coach you can come work with me if you want and start beginning the process of changing the beliefs, repenting of what you currently believe to begin to believe things that actually help you live your life the way you want to live and feel the happiness you want to have. Wow. I love that. Uh, It reminds me as you're, as you said that it is a form of repentance. Uh, the, The Bible dictionary definition of repentance includes a new view of yourself, the world and of God. And so literally that's, that's what, that's what you're doing. You're just forming a a new way to look at your life and the relationships that you have around you. 
right. uh, to, to rewire your brain. Instead of like focusing on oh, pornography is my problem, let's try to fix it. And like the more you focus on it, the more depressed they become because they're missing what's actually causing the depression and anxiety. Maybe yeah. like pull back and just start focusing on the roots of the problem instead of the branches. And then over time, the pornography takes care of itself. Would you That's say that? That's exactly right. What we do, what I do, we call it causal coaching. I'm looking for the cause of the issue. I'm not looking to treat the symptom. The symptom, wow. like you said, will eventually find its way out of your life if you are able to deal with the, the issue, which for most of us is a lack of self-confidence, uh, you know, a lack of desire to look bad, a lack of, you know, whatever it is, right? It is this deep rooted feeling that we are not enough. Mm. At the end of the day, it's we are not enough, all of it. And once we can start to understand, oh, one, I am enough. The atonement has paid for the sins that I've created. I don't have to freak out about those. I know that's done, right? We don't talk about this very much as members of the church, but that's grace. That's grace given. It is paid for. And now I can focus on what's going on ahead of me. I can focus on my choices. I can focus on why I want to be different than I'm being, right? Exercising agency, which is the one thing we do have control over. Yeah. Then we're going to get a lot further than if we freak out about, you know, why am I not enough? Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I told you, you know, the work that I do, it, it, it runs parallel to the gospel in so many ways. That is super cool. If you're out there and you're struggling, I want you to, number one, I want you to know that there is a path out. That is 100% true. I know it. Uh, I've lived it. I know many, many people who've lived it. And the reality here is you do not have to feel as though you are trapped, stuck, or unable to move forward anymore. You can move forward. And I hope that you have the hope in that because that is absolutely available to you. Number two is, whether you come and work with me, you know, you can go to zackspafford.com or you can listen to the self-mastery podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, all those things, right? Whether you work with me or you work with somebody else, take a step. Take one step forward. I don't care what it is, but make commitment that you're going to figure this out. And commitment is different than wanting. Wanting is saying, I want this. It's words. Mm -hmm. Commitment is doing and whether you do and you fail a hundred times or you do and you fail a thousand times, if you're committed, you keep doing no matter what until you figure it out. And that is available to you as well. You have that capacity. It is possible to figure this out. I feel like I should say amen now. <laughs> amen. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Uh, wow so much so much to digest so many good things were said uh i i we'd love to have you on longer we'd love to ask more questions uh but unfortunately we're way out of time so uh for everyone who's watching uh i'd like to say if you if you want to hear more from zach stafford go ahead and check out his podcast uh self-mastery podcast self-mastery podcast uh, or you can go to my website and you can click on the, the podcast link there do that perfect awesome well thanks thanks for joining us thanks for watching and thank you zach for coming on here and uh everyone have a great day bye
Thanks for listening. If you want to watch our videos, check us out on YouTube or shoot us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.